The Akkad and Coca Report, episode number 90. Welcome to the Akkad and Coca Report, the podcast dedicated to making sense of healthcare. From policy to economics, from evidence based medicine to ethics, join us as Drs. Michelle Akkad and Anish Coca diagnose and treat the latest epidemic of healthcare absurdities. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Akkad and Coca Report. How do businesses purchase healthcare services for their employees? And what are the factors that bear on these purchasing decisions? These are very important questions that are rarely part of the policy conversation. Our guest on this episode is Jay Campton, President and CEO of the Campton Group, helping employers obtain and administer healthcare benefits for their employees. He is here to tell us about his professional journey, his insights as a third-party administrator, and his recent efforts to turn employers away from the, the wasteful and corrupt health insurance benefit model. With Dr. Keith Smith, who was our guest on episode 10, Mr. Campton is co-founder of the Free Market Medical Association. He is also a board member of the Society of Professional Benefit Administrators and a member of the Healthcare Administrators Association. Before we start, let me remind you that you can support our show by making a small donation that will allow you to be part of the conversation in our online forum. Details at accountandcoca.com support. A donation in any amount is always greatly appreciated. And now here's our conversation with Jay Campton. Jay, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, Dr. Akkad, this is uh, it's great to be here. Great to have you. So um, quickly, I saw you speak at um, uh, this year's Free Market Medical Association. And it really struck me that you're in an industry or, you know, you and your colleagues um, have an insight on what's going on in healthcare that most of us don't have. And, and you seem to be sort of under the, under the radar because hardly anyone talks about what you do and what people like you do. So I was wondering if you could tell us, you know, start off by telling us uh, about what you do and how you came to, to found the Free Market Medical Association and so forth, a little bit of your professional journey. Sure. Yeah, I, um, I'm a third-party administrator. I own and, and uh, run uh, the family business. Um, we, we're a 50-year-old uh, third-party administrator, and we exclusively work with employers that choose to self-insure or partially self-insure their employees' um, health benefits. Um, you know, the reason that I think the self-insurance industry kind of flies under the radar is because like everything else and everything else in healthcare, uh, the large insurance companies have moved into the self-insured administration business and they compete with TPAs like me or third party administrators like me. But one of the interesting things is when um, we have a client, an employer, um, and they choose to take on the risk or part of the risk of providing health benefits to their employees. We do everything that we can to make sure that that employer understands the risk and understands how to buy health care in, in a smart and intelligent way, how to, how to seek high-value health care and, and, and stay away from low-value health care. And we also try to do that with the employees and the spouses and the dependents of, of those employers, um, you know, again, kind of teaching them how to be a good healthcare consumer. And the reason 
we emphasize that is because it's their nickel. They're not buying insurance. The, right. uh, so, so Jay, a lot to talk about here, but uh, to orient the, uh, the audience here, I just want to uh, clarify a few things. I think in most people's minds, when, uh, you know, employers who, who provide insurance as a benefit to their employees uh, buy, uh, you know, health insurance, or, you know, that's, that's the understanding that at least most of them do. Or, so what's, what's the breakdown? How many people or how many companies just buy insurance and how many companies are self-insured? Yeah, I can't give you the statistics on the number of employers, but I can talk a little bit about the the numbers of of, of covered individuals. And so, if we look at um, if, if we look at in in the outside of the public sector, and we look in the private sector, over sixty percent of employees and dependents that have insurance have, I'm using insurance and in air quotes, have coverage, over 60% of them are getting those benefits or that coverage through some sort of a self-insured mechanism. So traditional insurance, ironically enough, if you're talking about numbers of employees, traditional insurance is actually in the minority. Um, and the reason is because most large employers are self-insured. Most small employers are not. Large employers have more employees than small employers. Right. So if we take a company like Boeing or Ford Motors or whatnot, they're going to be typically self-insured. You bet. Right. And so, in fact, it, and it comes way, way down. Even, you know, once, once you even get, uh, say, over a couple of hundred employees, um, the employers that are self-insured over, say, a couple of hundred employees, I, I think that's close to 80, 90 percent of even employers that size are self-insured. Okay. Okay. But the, the confusion that you were sort of referring to is that, uh, some or many, or I don't know how many, but but a portion of these self-insured businesses, even though they're self-insured, they still go to Blue Cross or United and whatnot, and those companies administer the the healthcare benefits for them, even though they the company itself bears the financial risk. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. They're they're writing checks on uh, the employer's bank account. The the, the client the, the carrier is not assuming the risk. The employer and or the employees are are sharing in that risk. Okay. But the employees may not know the difference that their employer is self-insured or not self-insured because the product will be packaged and la and have a label Blue Cross or something of that sort. Is that is that right? Absolutely, and that's that's where the really that's where the problem lies. Is uh, if you talk to one of these employees, they've never been told they're self-insured. They've never been told that if they are a better steward of those healthcare dollars, that they can save themselves and their employer great sums of money. They're really they're really told uh, that, well, they're, you, you have your insurance with Aetna. And so, you know, do what Aetna says. They, they, I think that the, the industry, the, the health insurance industry, big, big insurance, big pharma, big, uh, you know, big healthcare, they've really tried to de-emphasize or dumb down the uh, participating uh, patients to where they really think that they have this insurance mindset and they have no ability to control costs themselves or, or actually even be a good consumer. Okay. So tell me a little bit about your, your uh, personal professional journey. 
Um, so you're a third-party administrator, meaning that you you um, you get hired by an employer, a company of a certain size. You know, maybe 200 employees, a thousand employees, or 10,000. You know, something like that. And they're self-insured, and they they want to provide healthcare benefits. So how does that work, and or or how did it work for you in the past, and it's you're working differently now? Tell us a little sure. bit. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. Um, you know, probably about 10 years ago, I would say that we were. Um, we, we tried to do the best job that we possibly could for our employers and their employees, but we had a very, very limited tool set. It's, we found ourselves that we, we were in this healthcare industry and we were told for, for a long, long time that if we wanted, if our clients wanted to have access to the large hospital systems or to the healthcare uh, provider uh, the healthcare providers in the country, we would have to contract through some sort of a third-party discount, uh, third-party PPO network, preferred provider network. And, mm -hmm. and that's a, a network of pre-negotiated deals with uh, the different hospital systems and different physicians. And um, when, when you're in that mode, you don't have a whole lot of control. The pricing is, is pretty much dictated by uh, a third party, uh, we didn't have access to the pricing, nor did our employers or their employees. And so it was kind of like, you know, it's kind of like walking into a Walmart um, where, you know, they told you at the front door that everything has been pre-negotiated and it's a great deal, but there's no price tags inside the store. And uh, it was a really, really poor way of buying healthcare or a really poor way of managing pricing. Uh, about 10 years ago, I was actually introduced um, to a, a very much free market-minded uh, physician. I think you've had uh, Dr. Keith Smith on your show before. Sure. And I was introduced to Dr. Smith um, by one of his neighbors, which is also one of my clients. And um, when I was belaboring the, the woes of the healthcare status quo to my clients, this particular client said, you know, there's a physician that talks just like you. You guys should really meet. And that was Dr. Keith Smith. And, and lo and behold, I didn't realize, but we were about three miles, his surgery center and, and our third-party administration company, we were about three miles away from each other. And, and really when we met, and for your listeners out there, you know, Dr. Smith has, has been a big champion of fully transparent bundled cash pricing for everything that they do at the surgery center. Well, when, when I learned of, of their existence, I said, oh my gosh, this is what my employers, this is what they've been looking for. This is the type of market-based uh, pricing that has been missing for essentially my entire career. And, uh, you know, I think your listeners also would want to hear, you know, a, a self-insured employer is really the ultimate cash buyer and they're just looking for market-based pricing. And it's just almost impossible to find as these insurance carriers have, you know, really have that pricing just kind of locked up in a, in a black box. Sure. Because um, again, a, a, a typical insurance company like an Aetna or a Blue Cross acting as a third-party administrator for self-insured plan they will essentially offer to that employer the same kind of deal as they offer on their uh, insurance plans, right? I mean, if, if, if the employer was, was buying insurance, right? There, there's not going to be much difference. There's, there's not a lot of difference, um, except for there are a couple of differences. And it's, it's really kind of uh, 
disgusting when you listen to it. Um, you know, there, there are different, there's all sorts of different schemes that big insurance uses. And when they're in the, when they're in the self-insured environment, where again, it's not the insurance company's nickel, it's the employer's nickel. Uh, they really, since they're not selling insurance or selling administrative services, they also make a very, very big deal is that they sell negotiated pricing. They sell discounts. Um, because you're with, you know, fill in the blank insurance company as your administrator for your self-funded plan, we garner the best pricing, uh, pricing that is much, much better than you would be able to negotiate on your own. The, the real insidious part of that is many times those discount arrangements that are used with a self-insured employer is the insurance company will actually charge a percentage of the quote savings that they that they have uh, that they garner for that self-insured employer uh, the casual listener might say well that sounds great well if you if you start talking about how healthcare really works though where you know many medical providers they charge that you know, that crazy monopoly money uh, charge master price right and then the the big insurance company sweeps in, and they've negotiated a seventy percent deal off of this this crazy first you know, original starting price. But then, if they charge the employer twenty percent of that savings, it could be in a situation where you you actually could be paying a larger price for the discount than you even paid for the medical for the care. Right. So it's a huge huge revenue stream. Uh, for the, the, the insurance company uh, administration companies and the employers just, they do not know what's happening to them until somebody, a truth teller kind of explains how this game is played. And then the employers are, are really, uh, they're just appalled. And that's when, usually when my phone rings. Okay. So tell us about how, so you had this encounter with uh, Dr. Smith and, and, and how did you adapt, you know, when you discovered that there's, you know, providers or physicians, uh, surgery centers, willing to offer uh, the same kind of care, uh, at least maybe not comprehensively, but but certain types of, of uh, procedures and surgeries and uh, on a cash basis that is much, much more affordable and much higher value than uh, what the employer would be getting otherwise through the insurance company. How, how did you modify uh, your your business? Sure. Yeah, it's a great question. Well, when, when Dr. Smith and I originally met, I, he and I still recall that, that meeting at first, it was very, very awkward because, you know, I was in his eyes, I was the insurance guy and I wasn't to be trusted. And, and he was the, the medical provider, the gouging medical provider, and he wasn't to be trusted. Uh, and then, you know, quickly we, we kind of realized that each other, we were very, very different. And, and that's when he showed me his bundled cash pricing of course, he made it very, very clear to me that, you know, that's not an insurance price. That's not available for insurance. That's only for, for cash customers. And I had a pretty, pretty good awareness of pricing. And, you know, when I saw his uh, laparoscopic gallbladder uh, procedure at $5,800, I knew that that was an amazing deal. And I was just trying to think, well, how in the world can I get my employers access to that amazing pricing? Bearing in mind that it was a, it was a cash on the counter. It was a, it was a cash transaction price. And so what, what we ended up doing is when I got back to, uh, back to the office, um, we sat down and, and really created, um, we, we called it a, a premier 
uh, tier of benefits. I think most of your listeners probably, if they have insurance, you know, they understand that, you know, they have out of network benefits, which are, you know, it's the bad deal. And then you've got in network benefits, which just, you know, pays the insurance pays a little bit more. This premier tier that, that we designed, it was really a byproduct of how do we provide the cash to surgery center of Oklahoma. And it was a hundred percent payment tier. So there was no deductible, no co coinsurance. Um, and we, we had to, uh, we were going to pay that bill uh, as absolutely as quickly as possible. So we did a lot of expedit expediting uh, within our shop. So at the end of the day, uh, Dr. Akkad, if, if somebody used Surgery Center of Oklahoma, the patient had no patient responsibility and the employer just wrote a check right out of their, out of their health plan to Surgery Center of Oklahoma. We tried to get that check to them for the entire bundled upfront cash price, usually within two or three days of the patient getting the procedure. And so that was, it was out of necessity, you know, how do we emulate a cash customer? How does a self-insured employer's health plan emulate a cash customer? And that was our solution. Okay. Um, that's, that's fascinating, but the employer will still have some kind of, uh, through you, some arrangements with non-surgical, right? Because at this time, um, hopefully that will change quickly, but at this time, the Surgery Center of Oklahoma and surgery centers like like it and other cash-based physicians, direct primary care and so forth, um, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a limited offering for the healthcare services that employees might need, right? Someone Correct. may have a cancer and so forth and need to go to, to a traditional third-party-based healthcare facility. So your clients who are employers have access to both. And uh, so how, how does that work? Yeah, they, they, they do. Um, and, you know, it, uh, what was originally Surgery Center of Oklahoma now has actually grown to, to over 100 medical providers just in our area that have kind of entered this free market uh, cash environment. And they, and they range from general, general surgeries to advanced imaging to oncology, cardiac, um, so it's, we are taking, a, there is a, a free market cash solution for a lot more procedures than you would think, but you're absolutely right. It doesn't cover everything. And so, um, really the way that we do this is if an employer, if an employee chooses to use one of our free market medical providers that we have identified, then they understand that that uh, will be paid at a hundred percent because the, the, their employer is saving so much money that the employer is just going to write a check for the whole thing. If they don't use one of those providers, then it'll be standard in-network benefits. Okay. I think an important distinction, though, that or an important point to be made with that uh, is that because we do about a thousand medical procedures every month now through one of these cash-based free market providers. And so there's a pretty good volume. And, and what's starting to happen is the employees of the of our employers, they're starting to become price aware. And so if they need to have a medical procedure that maybe that cannot be done by a good guy, free market based provider, 
they will go to the big hospital system and they want to talk about price. Uh, and so it's very interesting. Some of the phone calls that we get from patients that are saying, well, you know, I went to this network hospital, but they won't give me the price. And so I don't know if I want to have it done there. Can you call them and, and start talking about the price? Cause I feel like I need to know the price because I know the price when I go to a surgery center of Oklahoma. And so we're seeing our clients and their patients starting to exert market-based forces, even on the not-so-good guys. Right, right. That's very interesting. And so, as a, as a third-party administrator, you you have direct contact with the employees, right? When they need procedures and so forth. I mean, you're going to have. Uh, do you, does your company have a, a phone bank, or I mean, or, or people who answer the phone and 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 answer questions? Is this going to be covered? How much is it going to cost, and and that sort of thing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, in, in fact, the way that we have it constructed is if if a patient again they have they really have uh, three kind of benefit tiers. That's kind of uh, you know good, better, best, if you will. Um, out of network benefits, they can go to you know any medical provider they want. Doesn't have to be in their quote network. Um, and they'll get a, the, the kind of the worst benefits available. If, and if they use a, a, a network provider, then they get a better benefit. But if they want that best benefit, that free tier, if they want it right. free, we actually, part of the, the way that you get it free is you do need to call one of our, uh, what we call a care advocate. So you're going to call um, the, the Kempton Group. You're going to call our, uh, our call center. And again, we have, we have two nurses on staff. We, we talk uh, to, to patients all the time. And we start to understand, well, what are your needs? And then we find out whether or not one of the free market um, physicians or, or facilities is able to do what they've been told that they need. And we do a lot of the, uh, the logistics support, the scheduling, uh, uh, and everything else. So when they do show up, say, at that Surgery Center of Oklahoma, um, Surgery Center of Oklahoma already has them on the schedule. Um, we have coordinated it with the surgery center and with the patient. They know what they're, uh, what they're kind of in for, and uh, they also know that they'll get it at no cost. So it is a, that free tier is not kind of a, a free-for-all, pardon the pun, but it, it is more of a coordinated uh, sure. type of an encounter. Sure. Um, so this is great that you have, you know, I mean, a, a growing pool of uh, doctors and facilities that are willing to, to uh, offer, um, you know, free market-based pricing uh, to you and to your clients. Do some of them, are some of them, um, you mentioned cardiac, is there like a, a group of cardiologists or a, a cardiac hospital that on the one hand would be have would have contracts with typical insurance companies and maybe Medicare and so forth, and yet still provide you sort of a a, a guaranteed bundled payment or or cash based uh, payment. And are they able to do that? Because sometimes it can be, you know, contractually or legally can be a little tricky for for yeah. doctors who are still trying to straddle both uh, both camps, so to speak. Yeah, um, as as we you know, I, we get this question a lot, um, and it's. It's not, it's not tricky, but it is, the answer is kind of nuanced. Um, as we understand it, um, you know, of course, if, if the medical provider is doing business with you know, Medicare or Medicaid, there are laws that say that they cannot offer 
pricing that is lower than what they get paid by by Medicare. And all of the providers that we do business with, they that that have a Medicare uh, contract, they adhere to that. Um, where where the the where it gets a little bit more dicey is those that have insurance contracts and. Uh, of course, the, the medical providers look at, well, if I can deal directly with the employer and not go through a third party, and they're going to pay me in just a couple of days, and there's no patient responsibility that I have to chase and bill for and everything else, I'm just going to get, I'm going to post a price, it's for a guaranteed bundled procedure, and I'm going to get paid. Um, that provides a lot of administrative, uh, you know, relief for that facility, and so they, they, regularly offer pricing that is equal to or better than the big insurance companies. Now, of course, there's there's fear that, well, what will the big insurance companies say about that? Uh, especially if they're if you're offering the general public cash cash buyers better pricing than you offer a big insurance company. And what we have always countered with, and which I think is just kind of a delicious answer, is and actually we heard this from a medical provider. They said, well, you know, fill in the blank insurance company. They didn't like what I was doing. They didn't like my bundled cash price list. They were threatening me that they were going to pull my contract. So I just offered them my bundled cash price list. Right. And I said, if you can pay me at a hundred percent of my asking price and you can get me payment within two or three days with no utilization review or, or no mother may I, then you can most certainly have my price. And the insurance companies walked away from it. Sure, they were not able to meet the requirements of a, a bundled cash transaction. So I, I love that. So uh, that, that would be what we would say to a medical provider that was looking to straddle that is you start to get some flack, you just offer it, but it's the offer them the same terms that you have, offer a, a cash customer and see if they can meet it. If they can't, it's, they've got it. They get the pricing that they deserve. You know, it's wonderful to hear that um, uh, free market medicine is growing in Oklahoma. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's um, um, thanks in large part to, to Dr. Smith's efforts and, and yours. But and, and is that how you see it? That sort of by, by word of mouth, by example, locally in Oklahoma City, uh, the word has spread to, to a lot of doctors and they, they've decided to, you know, they, they are coming on board. Yeah, um, and I think that's that's part of the bigger picture here that we want to make sure that that your listeners um, hear is you know Dr. Smith and I we we kind of started doing business together you know my employers and and, and their employees and in, in Surgery Center of Oklahoma, but it quickly started to grow really organically. Um, we started having other medical providers that were being essentially victimized by the by the marketplace, um, by Surgery Center of Oklahoma, they were losing patients. And so they said, hey, we want to compete, try to retain some of those patients, and here's our bundled cash price list. So we started seeing more and more um, medical providers that wanted to enter the space. Surgery Center of Oklahoma started getting phone calls from other third-party administrators that had heard what we were doing, and, and they wanted to you know, start uh, – having access to his pricing, um, you know, the same way that we did. So after a couple of years of that, we said, you know, we, this is really, we might be onto something. This might be the kind of DIY market-based healthcare reform that we all want. So what can we do 
to spread this story beyond the Kempton Group and beyond Surgery Center of Oklahoma. So that's when we, we decided that we needed to form a, a, kind of an educational association. And that was where the Free Market Medical Association was born. And it is it's not a think tank. It's, it's, it's apolitical. But it really is to tell our story and our experience to the rest of the world, to try to create these little pockets of, again, DIY market-based reform all around the country. And it is slowly but surely the, the, the Kempton and Surgery Center of Oklahoma story is starting to repeat in other areas around, uh, around the country. Right. Uh, there's no question. The, the meeting that I attended, it was my first meeting of the Free Market Medical Association. Uh, how many have you had so far, uh, annual meetings? It's, uh, the, is think, this the fifth or? I think last year, the one that you attended, I think was five. Five. Okay, the fifth. It, it, there's, there's no question. I mean, there was, the energy was palpable. Um, tons of people there to, you know, seriously to, to, to understand better, to be ex extremely motivated. And it was great to see you know, half of the audience being, or, or the, the participants being doctors and the other half being third party administrators right. like you. And uh, employers and benefits. And employers, correct. And employers. Yeah. So speaking of employers, uh, you know, I know here in the, in the, uh, in the Bay Area, which is <laughs> no, no, no paragon of uh, free market medicine, but uh, you know, there, there are um, um, uh, employer associations that, you know, for decades have been trying to weigh in on the um, the insurance companies are trying to get better deals. So uh, there's one called the, I think it's a big one, the Pacific, uh, I forgot what it is, but it's a big sort of employer, big em employer coalition uh, to try to uh, negotiate or, or apply pressure on health insurance companies or perhaps even on, on hospital systems, you know, to lower prices. Obviously, at least from, from my perspective, they seem to be, to have been very ineffective Yeah. Uh, over the decades. Now that you're introducing this free market association to employers, are they getting excited? Are they trying to do the same? Are they uh, thinking about grouping together, at least maybe locally, to, to, to push this forward? Yes, there's, there's a lot of discussion about that. And, and you know, part of the mission of the Free Market Medical Association is to assist with, you know, it, when it comes to healthcare. You know, America and Americans are, we've really, we, we don't understand how markets work like we used to. Or if we do understand how markets work, we we kind of say, well, we understand how markets work, but that won't work in healthcare. Healthcare is different somehow. And, you know, in our experience, that, that's completely false. You know, if you were an employer coalition and you started uh, trying to have a conversation with the biggest hospital in your area uh, and they turn you down, uh, that's not a surprise. Right. Um, what we've seen is you, you've got to start talking to, you know, somebody that needs you, somebody that can appreciate you. The biggest hospital system, the 800-pound gorilla, they don't need you. And so how you want to get a conversation started you need to go find a physician owned facility, a surgical facility, surgery center, physician owned or, or independently owned imaging center. And you just start incentivizing, of course, make sure that they're a, a good quality facility that's got very competitive pricing, negotiate something with them and then start incentivizing and educating the employees to start utilizing those facilities. 
eventually when you redirect or people start seeking value and they don't go to the big bloated hospital system and they start going to somewhere else, eventually somebody will take notice. And that's really what we see happen over and over again. It's not going to be the big hospital system, but it will be the next physician owned facility that is seeing that your facility is growing by leaps and bounds because this employer coalition has partnered with ABC Surgery Center. And the next guys will say, you know, hey, we would love to offer whatever they're offering, but we'll maybe we'll include post-operative physical therapy or they will do, they'll put some sort of a sweetener on there. They will compete for those patients. And that's how it starts to grow organically. You've got to start small because you're not going to be able to go in there and provide any market leverage for those giant systems. Okay. Right. That, that's, that sounds great. So Jay, I thought, um, I thought uh, we'd figured out this whole price value thing with uh, Obamacare. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's funny. Why, so, why do we need but, to do this? Right. I mean, no, you know, it's hard to, you know, we have to, pay for value and uh, pay for performance. And um, it seemed that, uh, you know, the, the folks that uh, designed the Affordable Care Act, uh, you know, had found the ticket. What, 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 was your, what was your experience? You know, what my experience was, it was, uh, it was an amazing smokescreen for, you know, the, the gougers and the healthcare pirates out there to continue doing what they're doing, but even, you know, more aggressively. Uh, until you get a buyer, an empowered buyer, empowered by information. Um, and, and, you know, an insurance company is not a buyer of healthcare. Um, a third party administrator is not a buyer of healthcare. An employer is not even a buyer of healthcare. We are the buyers. We're the ones that actually have a stake in making sure that we get good quality and affordable healthcare for, for us as individuals. Um, What's missing in healthcare that we're starting to see emerge is the idea of the sellers, the medical providers out there, making their product easier to buy and easier to compare. And that's where the bundling comes in. You know, if you need to have your knee scoped or you need to have a heart stent, the average patient, they don't know the questions to ask. Because it's such a fractured product, you know, there's multiple, there's, there's facility charges and there's surgeons charges and there's anesthesia and everything else. What it's, what's going to take, what's going to make reform really start to happen is when the sellers see that if they make the product that they sell, that knee replacement, that hysterectomy, make it easier to buy, pre-negotiate with the ancillary medical providers and provide to the marketplace, put it on a website, put it on a billboard. Here is the, our all in, all done price for a laparoscopic hysterectomy. That can and is being done all around the country. It's being done aggressively in Oklahoma in order to attract cash customers, whether it's an individual patient or it's an employer self-funded plan purchasing on behalf of that of that patient. But that's the key, coming up with a price and a, 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 a unitized unit of care that is comparable um, is really key. And Obamacare didn't what, what do it, anything for that. Yeah, yeah, clearly, clearly it uh, seemed to fit. I mean, it was, you know, it was, 
support. I mean, the, it was supported by the uh, American Hospital Association as well as the um, as, as well as the insurance companies, and so that that gives you a sense that uh, you know it, it's hard to it's hard it's hard for me to see progress being made on healthcare uh, if those policies are endorsed by those two groups, which seem to be players at this point that. Um, Seem to you know seem seem to have a limited ability to be part of the solution that, that's really needed, um, but but take so so some will say that okay, um, you know Obamacare Obamacare um, failed, um, but uh, maybe what we need to do instead of doing all this complicated uh, you know hoping that uh, you know surgery center of Oklahoma's pop up all over the place, maybe we just need to set prices. Maybe we don't need we don't need third party administrators. We don't need insurance companies. We'll just have Medicare for all. We'll just have the government set prices for everything, and uh, you know they'll they'll set low prices because they're you know because they'll be able to because they'll have a monopoly. What uh, what do you see? Do you see anything wrong with that plan? Other than of course that that threatening uh, your uh, I guess that would threaten your viability because uh, you know now everyone would be contracting through this uh, government uh, run healthcare plan. Well, I, I think ultimately there would end up being a black market for healthcare, and I would probably be involved in that somehow. <laughs> Not everybody's going to fall for that. And, and it'd be the unethical thing to do, obviously. Um, yeah. Right. You know, you know, I think, you know, back to answering, you know, it, Medicare for all would be imposing, you know, the, the government imposing pricing on, on the sellers. And you know your comment about now that everybody's got a monopoly, the prices would fall. I think you know that that really kind of um, resonated with me when you said that. Um, you know, we see the highest pricing in areas where there's the littlest competition. Um, there's a there's an area of that's in our region of operation, and it is a uh, it's kind of in the middle of nowhere, and there's a pretty significant. Um, hub of healthcare surrounded by a lot of rural areas and it is essentially a one hospital town and that is one of the worst places in our region of the country central uh, u.s to buy healthcare. it is expensive the quality is mediocre at best but it's like buying gas on the turnpike you know, they've got you there. There's nowhere else to go. And, you know, we put people, uh, we put people in, in airplanes and fly them out of there, uh, to Oklahoma city. And even with the increased cost of, of, uh, transport and, um, lodging, we're able to save clients, you know, sometimes more than half of what they would have paid at that facility, even with their negotiated discount. I mean, that's, that's what we would see with Medicare for all. Um, the biggest hospitals would, they would get their pound of flesh. There's no doubt about it. Um, to go back to something more cheerful and positive, <laughs> let me, uh, um, uh, how do you see the, uh, the direct primary care uh, scene? First of all, I think, you know, what you, what you said about uh, physicians and, and healthcare providers providing uh, intelligible pricing for for patients directly is extremely important and and we know that you know the enemy comes comes up with you know they, they publish studies after studies say, claiming that uh, patients cannot shop on their own 
and and the you know the main reason is because they're sent you know into this maze, this incomprehensible maze uh, of of uh, the current healthcare system as it is, and and no wonder that they cannot that they have difficulty shopping. But you're right, if they are provided with some intelligible price, um, they will definitely be able to 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 shop and compare, and that's what the direct primary care. Uh, uh, physicians have done in, in a way by by sort of providing a flat fee, sort of uh, comprehensive uh, membership, you know, affordable membership thing that you know that precisely meets uh, that demand. But can they also? Uh, do you see them? In, so in your network, um, playing, um, participating into these uh, 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 self-employed or self-insured. Um, uh, arrangements uh, with a third-party administrator where uh, and the reason I'm asking is because in general the, the big employers may not think of primary care as being you know that much of a drain on their bottom line and so they're going to think more about negotiating with hospitals or surgery centers and hip replacements and things like that but at the same time the primary care physician can play a key role in educating the patient steering them in the right way towards the the best facilities and 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 make healthcare more intelligible to the patients than, than the patients would otherwise if they were on their own. Yeah, direct primary care is, is a key to what we're trying to do. Um, and we don't want to contract with direct primary care. We don't think that direct primary care, um, or primary care for that matter, is something that, that, that we should even be involved with. Um, you know, you don't need to insure primary care, um, but we view at, at the Kempton Group, we view direct primary care physicians as really allies mm-hmm. um, to help navigate um, their patients to, uh, you know, some of these free market facilities. You know, right now, you know, I'm not the best, uh, my team is not the best care navigators, even though we have care navigators and, and uh, the folks that are in that on that team, uh, if they're listening, I'm not saying that you guys aren't awesome because you are, but usually when we get that phone call um, from a patient that's looking for a high value uh, place to have their surgery, they've usually been told that they need surgery from an employed physician from one of the big hospitals that is getting ready to refer them, you know, to the mothership. Right. And so they call us and we have to, again, we educate and empower them with knowledge, but we're essentially what we call redirecting them uh, to a high value provider. If, if the tables were turned and that patient was not using a employed physician and all the, and, and, and along with the associated conflicts of interest of an employed physician, if they were using a direct primary care physician, I would rather get the phone call from the direct primary care physician that only is beholden to one entity and that one entity is their patient. Find out that their patient is also has their benefits through one of the plans that we administer through the patient's employer. Um, we want to have relationships with those direct primary care physicians. So when Sally needs a surgery, the direct primary care physician calls us and says, you know, Hey, do you all have any high value medical providers that, that can perform this? And we would provide, you know, that list and along with those prices to the direct primary care physician, and they would use their clinical expertise to assist in, in seeking value for that patient. We've talked to a lot of DPCs that they have their own essentially free market 
um, upstream providers that they've already negotiated great bundled cash pricing for. And we can accept and want to accept pricing that maybe the direct primary care physician has, uh, has negotiated. Um, so yeah, it, it is really a hand in a glove. Direct primary care is a wonderful cost containment and, and uh, really a, a, a primary driver of, of high value care. So do you think it's, um, it, it, do you have any issues or do you see any issues with, uh, um, what effectively is third party payment for, uh, for, for medical care? Meaning you still have employers here that are negotiating yeah. for, is that, uh, is that, and so it's not the patient per se, right? So, you know, you talk frequently about patients determining value and how that's very important. Um, it, it, this isn't quite the third party pairs we're used to, but this is right. some, a different type of third party pair. Do you see any issues with that? Correct. Yeah, I think that's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. Uh, yeah, I find myself at, um, you know, at, at different conferences with, uh, you know, with medical professionals and, and I hear, uh, you know, their, their comments about, uh, you know, you know, some physicians are very anti third party and, uh, I have to say, well, that's that's it. actually the name of my business. I mean, I'm a third-party administrator. I don't know how you get more third-party than that. But to me, it gets back to the pooling of risk. Um, a self-insured employer, and we could say whether we want to pool risk at the employer level or at our neighborhood level or whatever, um, at some point, we are going to need healthcare and that healthcare, even though we're getting great deals from, you know, these wonderful free market minded medical providers, but at some point in our lives, we're going to need care that is going to be expensive and it's going to be expensive enough in which we, most patients are not going to be able to uh, stomach and afford that price, even though it may be a great price. So at some point we've, we've done this throughout the history of, of this country before insurance was around, is people would pool their resources, whether it was the Amish pooling within their community or whatever else, people would pool their resources to be able to buy healthcare. A self-insured employer is simply a pool. Hopefully they're hiring a, a good guy administrator to assist them if needed uh, to you know, deal with the healthcare community and, and make those payments, and make sure they don't run afoul of, of any any regulation, but given the choice of where I would like to pool my resources, would I rather me and my family pool resources with other customers of an insurance company? I don't really like that because the insurance company is going to impose their will on, on that pool. Do I want to pool it amongst taxpayers through the government and Medicare for all? I don't really like that either because again, you know, they've got, um, they've got F-16s and tanks. And so I don't really trust the government to administer my pool. Um, employers, in our experience, employers want the same thing that we want for our families and that they want employees and their families to be happy, healthy, come to work on time and do their job. That is much more in line with what we all want as patients than say the government or insurance company. Don't, don't employer want to pay as little out as uh, possible especially if they're paying cash so is there is there a possibility that they get hooked up with um, 
you know, folks that may not necessarily provide the best value for. Yeah, that that's their, that is definitely you know, a possibility. How do you how do you how do you go about? Yeah, yeah. How do you how do you go about? You know, like for instance, you know, some 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 say uh, unscrupulous person sets up an ASC and starts doing you know hard catheterizations at a low cut rate, right? But um, has a relatively high complication rate, and uh, that yeah. complication rate, you know. Yeah, I love. That. I, I mean, is there a way for you to track that, or how, how do we? How do you go about doing? Yeah, that? I love that question too. Um, you know, Surgery Center of Oklahoma kind of uh, they solve that early, early on, and it's something that we hold the other providers that we do business with too, and that's when they construct that bundle. Any foreseeable complications related to that procedure we expect it to be included within the bundle. And so if, you know, to use your example, uh, you know, somebody's doing uh, shoddy uh, heart caths, um, if there's a complication, we expect that facility that offers the bundle to make it right at no additional cost. That should be included under the bundle. That should be a guaranteed outcome. And and when, again, I represent the buyer, and so when we sit down with one of these medical providers that wants to enter the space and compete for patients in this way, once we explain, okay, you know, any complications that are related to this procedure, we expect them to be on your nickel, it many times changes the conversation. In fact, I've had hospitals, it's happened more with hospitals than surgery centers, when I explain that to a hospital, next thing I know, they're not interested in being in this bundled space any longer. That tells me everything I need to know about that medical provider's quality. Um, so we well, have seen this for about 10 years where the providers that play in this, they are exceptionally good at what they do and or they will only offer procedures on a bundled basis that they feel like they are best right. equipped to right. have a great outcome on. Right. Or, or it could be the case that they, that they you know, that, I mean, that sets up an incentive to select for a very low risk group of people to operate on. Meaning there's, you know, there's a, there's a large, there's a huge gamut of patients in terms of uh, who come needing help. And it's, it's, it's absolutely the case that, and we see this in ASCs and hospitals, hospitals too, in that, you know, clearly like, you know, I get asked all the time, Hey, is this patient okay to get operated on at an ASC? And, uh, you know, the most complicated patients, I'll say, no, they can't get operated on there because we need the kind of resources that only, you know, uh, super uh, uh, intense resources, uh, uh, super intensive resources that uh, uh, hospitals have, uh, you know, has to be done there because that's where this can be provided. So um, that happens. But, uh, yeah. Extreme. It, I, I can't tell you that it's yeah. never happened. Yeah. Um, but if somebody is just fraught with comorbidities, um, it may be that, you know, Hey, that can't be done in an ASC yeah. or that can't be done at, uh, you know, this particular venue, but I can probably count the number of times that's happened again. And I'm talking about, you know, employed people, I'm not talking yeah. about the general public out there, but for my customers, I'll bet you that's happened less than five times in eight years of doing this. And we do about a thousand of these over a thousand a month, right over a thousand. So it's exceptionally rare. Right. But then again, that's, here's the, it's, it's a failure of, um, um, you know, the, of the, uh, the regulated market to, to not allow or make it extremely difficult for independent patient directed hospitals from emerging. And, right. and also, I mean, 
the only reason where it's limited to ambulatory service uh, surgery centers, you know, is because from a regulatory standpoint, it's still feasible. Uh, right. But but otherwise, but you, yeah. What, what what yeah? I mean, right. But I, mean, you, I, I think what happened is that a lot of the current hospitals that are so I mean, incredibly resource heavy would would you know would go out of business, and you'd have a landscape where you'd have a lot of um, hospitals that were you know physician owned or privately owned privately owned that were doing could be doing lower risk type of procedures, and you know what would emerge would be there would always be you know probably the market would demand and ask for and pay for uh, at least one super tertiary quaternary care type place, which did charge very high rates, but you know, there would be fewer of them. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Meaning, right. There's nothing wrong with that necessarily. Yeah, no, no, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. No, I, I think that's, that's probably the evolution that, that we'd like. Instead, right now we have, you know, on within, within one mile, you have five academic medical, at least in major metropolitan areas, you have five medical, uh, major medical centers that are, all, all offering these massive services and are all open uh, and, and charging these crazy, crazy rates. So, you know, the other, the other uh, real problem <laughs> that's really developing is that um, there's so many physicians that are employed by hospitals now. I mean, that, the, the safest bet for a graduating uh, resident now is to join a hospital um, and uh, become, you know, become a, become a hospitalist, say, who, you know, is a shift worker that will work 17, uh, you know, 17 shifts out of a month. And get paid, you know, fairly fairly well, and not have to worry about phone calls after after hours and whatnot. And so, and you're seeing, you know, uh, a lot of specialties on the unable to fill um, and unable to uh, attract people because it's so hard to compete against hospitals. Um, and so, one of the one of the problems with having a robust marketplace is having physicians that are independent and able to go out and uh, and do this. So. You know that that seems to be that seems to be somewhat of a, a challenge right now uh, because uh, the hospital hospital work is so attractive to debt laden uh, residents that are coming out that are kind of not so not as comfortable with uncertainty as uh, Michelle is, <laughs> except for the burnout rates among those doctors who you know they may yeah. be comfortable financially but uh, nevertheless you know we yeah the, the hilarious thing i'm sorry to go off on a tangent but i can't resist but the hilarious thing is you know the the, the solution to burnout will be universal health care and medicare for all it's like you folks have no idea what's coming your way if you think <laughs> you think you got burnout now <laughs> yeah as medicare for all and universal health care will somehow like be some i don't know it's a magical yeah. thing but Nish, you, make, really you make uh, you make great points but usually my counter to the points yeah. that you made is that well it's, it's not like the status quo though is working or sustainable and so yeah but you know that's the thing there's this little bubble uh jay where uh, where you know there's you know doctors that are living very nice lives working for hospitals and uh you know they're comfortable they have, they're secure and uh you know and the, and the market demonstrates that in terms of how many you know how many new practices they're starting with individual docs and, and you know the vast majority are going to join hospitals so uh you know it, it's almost like you need and part of the reason for that is because it's such tough sledding right now in the in you know in 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 the world of private practice. Um, there, there's you know partly because of Obamacare, there's been a massive you know massive amount of regulations now that uh, we now have to kind of uh, uh, keep on top of. There's costs related to EMR that exceed the costs that we thought we would get rid of by going to an EMR uh, because of all these stupid regulations. Um, things like 
you know, even being able to do a, uh, a, a cardiac catheterization intervention in a, uh, in a non-hospital setting, right? There's lots and lots of regulations even related to that. Um, most, most interestingly, Medicare just last week or a couple of weeks ago, I saw a blurb from Medicare talking about loosening those regulations so that uh, interventions, uh, stents, coronary stents didn't have to be placed in hospitals. Um, and so could be done, you know, outside of a hospital setting with, you know, without having CT surgery back up and whatnot. So, um, um, so I think the landscape is changing, changing, uh, changing a lot. And hopefully, hopefully physicians uh, that are currently, ho- hopefully physicians have not been too beaten down. Um, well, you know, we'll be again, you know, I can only, maybe. yeah, I can only speak for, you know, what we see, uh, yeah. again, our, around our region of, of, uh, the U S um, but, you know, we're seeing um, the numbers of direct primary care physicians, mm. at least in Oklahoma and Texas, it's exploding. And every time we go to a direct primary care conference, it's, un, it's, it's an unreal. That's great. So I, I don't have any, any hard numbers to, uh, to, to show, but, um, you know, I had lunch with a, an employed physician just this week, this past week uh, in yeah. Oklahoma City, and he is punching out and he is, he's going to start his own DPC practice. And then that happens, you know, a couple times a month where we'll get a phone call from somebody somewhere, some physician that is, they're just, they're either, it's usually goes like this. I want to learn more about direct primary care because I'm either getting out of medicine or I'm going to start a direct primary care practice. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's just in the central U S but uh, we, something is starting to happen out there. Yeah. That's good. Good to hear. Optimistic. That's great, Jay. So, Jay, for physicians in the audience who want to learn more about this uh, free market movement, I know there are local chapters of the uh, Free Market Medical Association in various places around the country. Uh, tell us how they, how they can, uh, you know, locally, because medicine is a, kind of a local business, right? It's, it's always relationships and, and so forth. How can Absolutely. they uh, participate or, or, or find out more? The best way to learn more and really to see, you know, kind of what's going on and where some of these local chapters are would be to go to the Free Market Medical Association website, and it's fmma.org, fmma.org. Um, we'll have yeah. that on the uh, on the show notes. Wonderful. It's been great. It's really, to me, it's an extremely exciting uh, movement that you're leading here uh, with, with Dr. Smith. Uh, and again, I think most people, you know, certainly the policy people are completely unaware. I don't know, maybe they're, I don't know if they're completely unaware, but they're oblivious to it. And, uh, and it's really uh, going to uh, gain traction. I have no doubt about it. One thing I want to leave you with, because I made some notes as we were talking and I wanted to get it in, is, you know, the idea of, of creating, uh, you know, bundles that are again comparable, uh, et cetera. We feel like the burden is on the seller. Uh, I've got a great corollary to healthcare. Another very complex product that we buy that has a lot of different entities that contribute to it. A lot of different sub uh, contractors, if you will, and that would be the automobile. Um, if you buy a Toyota or Ford, you know, Ford doesn't make everything on that vehicle. They're buying tires from Firestone. They're buying different parts from different suppliers. But, you know, on that Monroney sticker, on that window sticker, everything that is included in that vehicle is listed out. 
Um, there's a warranty for that vehicle. And again, a very complex vehicle, but if Ford Motor Company or Toyota wants to sell any of them, they have to do the legwork up front to make the purchasing of that vehicle easy and comparable. And it that can be done in healthcare. There's just not much of an incentive to do it, but that incentive is growing. On that note, Jay, thank you very much. All right, thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much, Jay. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Akkad and Coca Report. Subscribe for free on iTunes or Stitcher at akkadandcoca.com, where you'll find detailed show notes, our blog, and more. akkadandcoca.com.